And we welcome you into week nine of Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 1025 The Game. Nick and Marquise with you for the next two hours, leading you right up until kickoff, showdowns, separations, season defining games, all of which Marquise are on tap today and tonight. Welcome back, man. It's good to be Guess back. Guess who's back? Back again. Nick is back. Tell a friend. Tell your friends. Exactly. Last week I was by myself in the studio singing Mr. Lonely for two hours. Like Carlton when he had the pool house by himself on That's Fresh correct. Prince. Yes. So yeah, you know, I was a little lonely. So it's good to see. I see your face Monday through Friday, but right. it's good to see your face You get face the bonus on day on Saturday. Yeah, I get the bonus day. Yeah, it's I like by, the- by five, get the six one free. <laughs> It's good. It's a good value. Yeah, you get an extra one. So yeah, exactly. It's good to see you back, man. And I'm, I'm excited for this week, man. It's a lot of big games this week. It's hard to believe that it's already week nine of the college football season. Like, oh, wh- man, where where does this season go? Don't tell me that, Nick. Because you know what that means. That means it's coming to an end soon. So let's let's not talk about <laughs> how far we are in this season. Because right. it's gonna hurt me because we're already in like the end of October, November's in like a couple days. It's already Halloween. Exactly. So then it's just like. Uh, we're in November, so that means it's like two and a half months left of mm-hmm. college football. So, but nah, man, it's um, it, it's flown by very fast, and kind of like a lot of these offenses this year with LSU and mm-hmm. Ohio State of how fast this college football season has gone. All right, we will get to the Saturday spotlight coming up in just a moment. But last night, one game on the docket: Pac-12 after dark. USC beats Colorado thirty-five thirty-one, and I, I kind of went into that game not really having any gut feeling as to what would happen. I thought, all right, Colorado, you know, they, they could be a live underdog in this spot. USC, though, is an 11-point favorite. Less than a minute into the game, Colorado jumped out, 75-yard touchdown. They're up 7 nothing. and I tweeted, if Clay Helton loses this game, he should be fired immediately and forced to walk back to Southern California. And, of course, first half Nick on Twitter Dead wrong because USC wins. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like the Lane Kiffin situation of like, we'll just fire him at the plane state. You know, when, when the plane lands, we'll just fire him that way. But now nah, they came back in that game and, you know, late in that game where they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter and, you know, got that win on the road against Colorado. And, it, and it's just crazy to think about this season with USC. How, you know, I, and obviously Colorado isn't the game that she says, you know, hey, Clay Helton, you get to keep your job. Congratulations, buddy, because they still got Oregon next week. But with five wins this season, you look at some of their losses. They lost a close one to BYU. Mm-hmm. They lost that close one to Notre Dame. That Washington game was pretty lopsided. It was all on Washington's end in that game. But with a five-win team, and you go into this season with three guys on the hot seat. Chip Kelly was on the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Willie Taggart's on the hot seat. And Clay Helton. I think out of all those guys, I think Clay Helton has performed the best with his team this year than Chip Kelly and Willie Taggart. But the sad thing about it is he still may be the one that gets fired out of the three because you're not going to buy out Willie Taggart's contract because it's too much. And then you're not going to fire Chip Kelly just yet. You may give him another season to kind of figure out what he's going to do mm-hmm. with that offense. But it's crazy. And also there's a lot of people, big names circulating around this USC job. Urban Meyer being one of them, so oh, he's looming. Yeah, and it's that's what makes it sad about Clay Helton, man, and because he's doing everything he can to keep his job. He's doing what Ed Ogeron did a couple years ago, mm-hmm. maybe not to that level to where they're a top ten team like LSU were in a couple years ago under Coach O when he was on the hot seat. But still, it's just like 
you know, I'm winning games. I'm probably going to get my team to a bowl game, and yet I'm still going to get fired because Urban Meyer's like hunting for my job. He's doing Fox hits in L.A., so he's um, circling around the campus just to make sure that I still have a office in the building. You know, so it's kind of sad, but you know, Clay Elton gets a win yesterday. All right, let's get to the Saturday spotlight. <laughs> matchups this weekend in college football. All right, Hollywood, we started off with number three, Ohio State, against number 13, Wisconsin. One loss, Wisconsin, who should be coming into this game undefeated, giving us a monster showdown in the Big Ten. But no, Wisconsin, as a 30-point favorite, said, you know what, we're going to lose to Illinois and Lovey Smith, who has now morphed into Santa Claus with that beard last <laughs> week. So I'd like to thank Wisconsin for taking away a little bit of the sizzle factor for today's matchup. Th- yeah. Way to go, Badgers. Yeah, well, uh, keep your grandma away from um, Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith is out here. If he's singling and he's mingling, just keep your grandma away from him on bingo night. But, nah, but this is college football, Nick, and it's – it's crazy because one week we talk about a team like Georgia who they lost to South Carolina. And mind you, this South Carolina team is nowhere near Illinois. Like, I think South Carolina is a far better opponent than Illinois is. But I, I just think this is college football, man. And, and this is why the cliche thing is you, you got to take every week very seriously because you have situations like this. And, you know, Wisconsin should have learned their lesson from Ohio State from mm-hmm. years past of losing to Iowa State and Purdue, that you can't lose those games if you're going to be considered for a top 10 spot. And sure enough, they did. And they lost that game late. And, you know, it's it kind of brought a little bit of the hype off of this game a little bit. But, man, it's that's a tough loss, man. And I think out of Georgia losing that game to South Carolina and Wisconsin losing that game to Illinois, I mm-hmm. think – Wisconsin's more done than Georgia is. I think Georgia can still bounce back. They're going to win the SEC East probably, you know, with Florida still looming and, you know, Missouri getting that tough loss against Vanderbilt last week. So, you know, I think Georgia still has an opportunity to get back into it. Even if Wisconsin wins this game, the only thing they're going to do is just ruin it for the whole conference if they win this game. Because I don't see them, even if they win this game, that they're going to be able to tell the committee enough that – this this defense can keep up with an offense like LSU or a fast offense like Alabama. So it, it's it's kind of hard to say because Wisconsin wins this game, it may be over for <laughs> maybe over for that conference in general. You know, it's funny. I think the committee looks at it and they say, you know, you can lose a game. You can have good losses. You can have bad losses. Wisconsin had a bad loss last week, but uh, you know, you look at this matchup and everybody's going to get all into Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor and, and all the star power. I think it's going to simply come down to the one thing that nobody talks about is Ohio State's defense. And Chase Young is probably the best player in college football, not named Tua Tonga-Valoa. He'll be a top three draft pick in April next year. And it's going to come down to whether or not Wisconsin and Jack Cohn can actually move the ball through the air and respect or give enough respect to Ohio State where Ohio State says, you know what, we got to defend the pass as well. Because if I'm the Buckeyes, I just say, you know what? I'm going to stop Jonathan Taylor, and I'm going to force Jack Cohn to beat me down the field. And I don't think he can do it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what they did early on in that Michigan game. Now, that Michigan game was pretty lopsided, but that wasn't because he was throwing it, you know, 200, 300 yards in that game. A lot of that was Jonathan Taylor and what he was able to do on the ground before he got taken out of that game. But And and that's the thing. And they're so – 
And I like this Wisconsin defense. I think this defense is really good. But when you look at their offense, they're so one-dimensional of just – and they've always been that way. Now, he is the best quarterback they've had in a long time, maybe since Russell Wilson. But they're still one-dimensional to where we're going to run it with Monte Ball. We're going to run it with, you know, Jonathan Taylor now. We, you know, we're going to run it with our primary back. And if you're not going to stop him, then Mel- we're Mel- going to Melvin Gordon. Yeah, Melvin Gordon as well. I was slipping on that last name. but um, Ron Dane 20 years ago. <laughs> we, the list goes on and on. The, for, the formula for Wisconsin never changes. It, it, absolutely. But the, but the one thing that doesn't is the quarterback play. And I, I think with Russell Wilson, you had that, that moment of we finally got a quarterback that can win us a game. I don't think he can win you a game with his arm, especially going against this athletic defense that Ohio State has. So it's going to be a tough task for him if – Jonathan Taylor doesn't get started early. Mm-hmm. If you know he goes into the second half and he has like 30 yards rushing, it's going to be a bad game for Wisconsin. It's going to probably be a blowout. If they go, if Ohio State goes up 14-0, it's it's pretty much a done deal for them. Coming up at 2:30 today, the CBS game on uh, the SEC on CBS. Number nine Auburn at number LSU in the Tiger Bowl. Joe Burrow looks to build and build and build on what could be a remarkable season, a Heisman Trophy type season, a national championship type season. Before they go into their bye, then they get Alabama. Here's the thing, though. Now, great news for Auburn: Jatarvius Booby Whitlow somehow medically cleared to play we'll see how many you know carries and reps he gets because remember Melvin Gordon in the NFL a couple weeks ago was cleared to play he came back from the holdout and he was active never got a carry in that game but can Bo Nix handle the environment he's he's been really good at home he's been good on the neutral field but Death Valley's a different cat yeah, when he was talking this week at his press conference, he said that he used the Gainesville example a lot of how it prepared him for that crowd noise. And that's kind of the question both him and Gus Malzahn was asked during their pressers was, how are you trying to prepare him for this crowd noise? And obviously they do a lot of things at practice. You know, they, they play the crowd noise in the speakers and they play music and kind of get that's That's kind of how they practice through, you know, throughout the week. And he uses that that example of playing in Gainesville and playing in that game against the Gators as, you know, what he was able to do. So it's going to be difficult, man. And and he's a freshman. He's young. He's inexperienced so far. He hasn't really shown that he can beat you with his arm just yet outside of the Oregon game, of course, where they got that touchdown late to Seth Williams that got him the victory. But, you know, he, he you know, that Florida game was one of those games where he didn't play too well. But he still had a chance because of his defense to keep his team in the game. And obviously that costly interception is we could be talking about a completely different Bo Nix if he completes that pass that Gus Malzahn set that play very well and he completed that pass instead of it going the other way. So we'd be talking about a completely different Bo Nix, a Bo Nix that went into Gainesville and got the victory over Florida against that tough Florida defense. And we'll be talking about a different game, but... I think this is a different monster, man. And we talk about this week in and week out with this LSU crowd and how hyped they get. And <laughs> and you saw it even a couple of weeks ago with Florida. It's just like, dude, this Dead Valley is a tough place to play in. It's a tough place for me to tweet because my computer is shaking. So I can only imagine the players being on the field and how hard it is for them to pass the ball and run the ball and get their offense going. So it's going to be a tough task, but as long as he's been practicing it you know, week in and week out through this week and he uses that, that trip to Gainesville as another example of mm-hmm. tough crowds in the SEC, I think it would be just fine. But 
you know, he's got to go against Joe Burrow in this offense. All right, final game in our Saturday spotlight. Number 8 Notre Dame looks to stay alive for the college football playoff as they take on number 19 Michigan in the big house. Notre Dame, they've lost to Georgia, still would qualify as a good loss, I would think, in the eyes of the committee. Even though Georgia has a bad loss to South Carolina, maybe it gets a little bit diminished. That said, they're still alive. If they can run the table, you know, I don't think they control their own destiny, but if things get crazy, Notre Dame could work their way back into the playoff discussion. And then you look at Michigan, who valiant effort last week in Happy Valley. They only lose to Penn State by a touchdown. But again, a Michigan team that, you know, this could really define their season because if they lose again, that's loss number three, and they've still yet to play Ohio State. Could be a four-loss season for Jim Harbaugh. Big spot for Harbaugh just to kind of silence the people that are saying the exit strategy for the NFL is coming. Yeah, it is, and it's going to be... See, what's weird about this game is you have two coaches with both NFL desires. We have Brian Kelly, who we talked about you know a couple weeks ago, of probably reaching his ceiling at Notre Dame. And then you have a Jim Harbaugh that you got to think, how far are we going to be able to take this program under Jim Harbaugh? Are we going to be able – because we can't even win in this conference with a first-year head coach. Mind you, he's already been in that program, and that program was already solidified under Urban Meyer. But Ryan Day comes in, and he does what he does with this offense, and he does what he does with this team, and yet you still cannot get past these guys. And not to mention, we went into this season as probably the second-best team, and you let two other teams in the conference surpass you in Penn State and Wisconsin, who both beat you on the field. So it's just, I mean, both coaches, this is a game that I look at is just like, this may be the last time we see both of these guys go at it in college football because one of these guys or maybe both of these guys may be you know, out the door after this, this season. And I think this is going to have to be a game where Notre Dame wins comfortably. They can't just win this game by touchdown. The eyes of the committee is going to say, yeah, you lost to Georgia, and that's a good that's a good loss. Then you guys beat Virginia the following week in dominating fashion, and Virginia was ranked 18th at the time. But then when you look at the rest of the schedule, you got Virginia Tech, you got Duke, Navy, and then Stanford, which is usually their game that kind of gets them that, that late push at the end of the season. This mm-hmm. is not a Stanford team that is going to give you that late push because they struggled this year. Okay. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be – it's going to have to be a, a comfortable Notre Dame win in order for them to get back in the conversation. But as far as Michigan, this is a win just for their morale and their mentality going into the Ohio State game. Coming up next here on the Saturday tailgate, we will get to the SEC swing as we get to Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi State, A&M, Missouri, Kentucky, and of course South Carolina in Knoxville today, 3 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network. SEC swing coming up next here on Saturday tailgate. It is Saturday Tailgate. Welcome back in ESPN 102.5 The Game. Mikhail Marquise Munson with you. Coming up today at 11 o'clock here on 102.5 The Game, we've got Wisconsin and Ohio State, the big showdown in the Big Ten. Followed at 5 o'clock today with pregame coverage of the Predators and the Lightning as Nashville is in Tennessee. Later today, 94-9 Game 2, FIU and MTSU with pregame at 1 o'clock. And then Nashville SC pregame at 645 as they take on Charleston Battery. So you've got Big Ten football. You've got the NHL, of course. You've got MTSU. You've got Nashville SC soccer. And then tonight at 6 o'clock on our sister station, 93.3 Classic Hits. You've got Arkansas and Alabama. That said, Hollywood, let's get to the SEC swing.
All right, number one, Alabama against Arkansas, and it is the debut, the short-lived debut of one Mac Jones. I'm not even going to call it return of the Mac because he's not returning. He's making his debut for the injured Tua Tungavaloa. Yeah, and he's made some game appearances before. This is his first start of his career here, and this is actually the first time in the Saban era that they had to go to a backup quarterback due to injury. So we're going to get a good look at Mac Jones and what he's able to do, and obviously we saw a little bit of that in the Tennessee game, and it looked like they were timid to throw the football a lot with Mac Jones. I mean, they had Slade Bolden out there throwing touchdowns instead of Mac Jones. So I think you know Nick Saban going into this game, having a week to game plan with Mac, Getting him comfortable with these wide receivers, obviously. You've got a bunch of them that you can throw it to. You know, I can name them all, but everybody knows the, the, the core four of Alabama's receiving core. And, but I think this is going to be a game to where, you know, we talked about this earlier in the year of how much Alabama's running game has been a non-factor this season. Oh, yeah. And we haven't seen a lot of Najee. We, we haven't seen a lot of Brian Robinson. I don't know if a lot of that has to do with the freshman Trey Sanders getting hurt early in the season. Maybe he was going to be a guy that carries the load for the Alabama's running game. But I think this is one of those games where they, they hand the rock to to Najee maybe 18 to 20 times, maybe the same kind of carries for Brian Robinson. Kind of get the running game going a little bit against this Arkansas defense and you know maybe take some chances downfield with Mac Jones. I don't think you want to take too many chances with a new quarterback, especially one that you, you don't have – that much, you know, that much faith in because mm-hmm. I looked at that game. That was a game of no faith in that Tennessee Alabama game. That was basically two quarterbacks that you had no faith in throwing the football downfield. So it was basically Tim Jordan versus Najee Harris in a running back battle where pretty much Alabama got away with it. And you know, I want to see more if if you know Nick Saban's going to feel comfortable. And you don't have to throw the ball 60 yards to Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy, run some RPOs, you know, toss it to Ruggs on a, on a maybe a two, three yard slant and all of a sudden let him do the rest, you know, with the yards after the catch. And you don't really have to do much with that. You can run an RPO offense. You don't have to take too many chances with Mac Jones. Just run the football, run some RPOs, and hopefully your defense can get a little practice in in this game against Arkansas. Yeah, and I, I don't think that you're going to see one of these games where it's a ton of the, the three-yard slant RPOs that turn into 75-yard touchdowns because Tua and Judy and Tua to Ruggs and Tua to Smith and Tua to Waddle, you just go through all those combinations. They're dynamic. I, I think Nick Saban in this game today, he just wants to see long, sustained drives. So you might not see that three-play 75-yard drive, I think he might. You might see more old school Alabama, and by that I mean more balance, more eight to ten play drives, like you said, Najee Harris, Brian Robinson on the ground. Because I don't think Mac Jones is just going to come in and pick right up where Tua left off. He's not, and it's hard to do that. But it's funny now, like in hindsight, the way we look at this, of everybody saying, "Oh, well, Tua is only a Heisman candidate because he has all those talented wide receivers." I'm like, look, it's it's spade a spade. You know, Tua makes them, like, they make Tua look good, but Tua also, if it's not for Tua, these guys don't get open as, as much as they do. And, and so I think it's a two-way street. I think Tua makes these guys look good, and these guys make Tua look good. And it proved it last week because Mac Jones couldn't get anything going. They had to get Slade Bolden, and I'm going to keep bringing that up, to throw a touchdown to get them, a, you know, a lead in that game. So I think it's one of those games to where, 
you don't want to take too many chances with Mac, but also you you kind of want to see some stuff from Mac in this offense because let's say hypothetically speaking, if Tua doesn't play in that LSU game, you're you're gonna have to do more than just run the ball with Najee and Brian Robinson to be able to beat an LSU offense that just does so many great things on offense with their wide receivers and their running backs and mm-hmm. with Joe Burrow. So I think you want to see a lot more from Mac just for the thought process of he may have to go against LSU. Also today, South Carolina at Tennessee. I call it a pivotal game for both coaches. Jeremy Pruitt, Will Muschamp. We know Will Muschamp, 7-0 lifetime as a head coach against Tennessee. And I think it really comes down to one big thing today. Which head coach's head will actually explode first on the sideline? Will it be Will Muschamp? Will it be Jeremy Pruitt? Which head coach will flat out lose his mind today over bad officiating or terrible mistakes by his own players with self-inflicted wounds? I say that tongue-in-cheek, but this is a big game for both programs. Tennessee can you know, inch closer to maybe a projection that people had back in August, and obviously South Carolina and Will Muschamp looking to bounce back after last week where they had Florida on the ropes for about three quarters. Yeah, I think South Carolina, obviously, if you can look at every game this season, they've been the more competitive team all season. Now, they lose that game early to UNC, and obviously that was a tough loss. They lose a game against Alabama, which was Ryan Helensky's first start. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he, he looks like, oh, this guy could be, this guy's better than Jake Bentley. Like, this guy can actually run this offense the way we want it to. And, you know, you get that win against Georgia. You 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 know you have South, you have Florida on the ropes in that game last week. So I, they've been the more competitive team. Obviously, officiating didn't work in their favor against Florida. But when you look at this Tennessee team, this is Jeremy Pruitt's head might explode first because it's he's going to be going against it. He's not going against the officials. I don't, I don't think the officials are going to be the problem. He's going to be going against his own team, and especially if Garantano does a play where he kind of calls his own shots out there on the field, but. You know, and you you mentioned this earlier this week, and this was a crazy stat that Will Muschamp is seven and zero against UT lifetime, mm-hmm. like seven and zero, yep. and South so, Carolina and Florida, and that is mind boggling to me because Will Muschamp is not the world beater. He's not a guy that's that you're going to think is going to just you know beat you every single season. He's not a Nick Saban that you know every time he, Nick Saban comes into town, he's going to beat you up and then go back to Tuscaloosa. No, nah, this is. You know, but the, the South Carolina team has played competitive on both ends. Their defense is really good, and I think that's the underrated part about the South Carolina team is how good their defense has been over the last couple of weeks, especially against Florida and Georgia. So, I, I mean, I think simply this game comes down to the trenches for Tennessee and South Carolina. If Tennessee's offensive line can hold their own against South Carolina's defensive line, and most notably Javon Kinlaw, if they can block that cat, They'll have a chance. If not, and he's a game wrecker, like he's been most of the, like he's not Jadavian Clowney, but he is pretty damn good. No, absolutely. He's really good. And you're going to need, if you're Tennessee's offense, you're going to need Tim Jordan to have another one of those games. He had a good game against Alabama. I think he had 93 yards in that game rushing. And that's a good Alabama defense. Probably not the best Alabama defense we've seen in recent memory, but it's pretty good. And Tim Jordan had a good game against that. So that's the, the battle that I'm looking for, especially if you are if you don't know where you're going to go at quarterback. You don't trust Garantano to throw the ball downfield if he is the starting quarterback. So you want Tim Jordan to be able to get that offense going. But how is he going to be able to get that offense going with, like you mentioned, that South Carolina defense being so good in the trenches? 
Okay, we got the Coach's Corner coming up in about 20 minutes. We will come back and get to our game of the week here in the SEC as we'll take a, an in-depth breakdown of Auburn and LSU. It's Saturday Tailgate here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. It is Saturday Tailgate. Nick and Marquise live here on Week 9 ESPN 102.5 The Game. The Coach's Corner coming up in less than 15 minutes. You will hear from Gus Malzahn, Jeremy Pruitt, Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, and Will Muschamp on this week's edition of Coach's Corner. But let's get to the game of the week. It's a 2.30 kick on CBS today as Auburn takes on LSU, the Battle of the Tigers in the West. And I think the first question right out of the gate for me is, when I look at Auburn, and they are a double-digit underdog in this spot, can Auburn's defensive line, which many people believe is the best in the country, can they be impactful enough today to make this game a very, very close one in the fourth quarter? Because Joe Burrow's been a stud. But let's see how Joe Burrow responds if guys like Marlon Davidson and Brown and you know those studs on that Auburn front four all of a sudden start to hit him. I don't know, maybe Joe Burrow starts to see ghosts like Sam Darnold on Monday night? <laughs> well, hopefully they don't have him mic'd up when he says that either. But no, I think, and, and I think Florida did that early on in the game that they played in the first half where, I mean, even though they didn't get any sacks on, on Joe Burrow, and I think that was the long-lasting problem in that game with Florida's defense, but I think they can get it early on of getting that momentum on putting pressure on Joe Burrow, getting them sacked a couple times because, you know, obviously that's been one of their, you know, positives is, you know, they haven't let Joe Burrow get hit a lot in this season. So, and I think, look, We've talked about this Auburn defense, and they're the best in the country. I think Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson are going to be first-round draft picks in the NFL. And this is an Auburn defense that averages 17 points and hasn't given up more than 24 in, the, in a game this season where you have a LSU offense that scored at least over 50 every game. But it's um, – it's going to be a tough task for them if they can't get any pressure on Joe Burrow because I don't think if you give Joe Burrow too much time in that pocket and we talk about Alabama's receiving core, you know, LSU has that same type of receiving core where they have fast guys who can get open real quick and they have multiple guys that can do that really well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's all going to start with Brown and Davidson. A lot of pressure on those guys, but I think they can handle it because they did it in the, in the Florida game to where – like I said earlier in the, seg- in, the, in the show was that defense was able to keep Auburn in that game against Florida. We see Derrick Brown get a fumble, almost ran it back for a touchdown, and it's going to start at that front line of being able to put pressure on Joe Burrow, not giving him enough time in the pocket to find his open receivers, and that's going to be how this defense keeps their offense in the game, and then all it's going to fall on is Bo Nix. So obviously Auburn is a talented front four, but where I think Auburn's going to get exposed today, and you alluded to it with LSU's receivers, I think it's the passing game. I think the combination of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase will eat alive Auburn's secondary. It feels like it's been 15 years since Auburn's had some good players on the back end of their secondary. Carlos Rogers for all those years, who obviously went on to be a pretty good player in the NFL. But Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, nine touchdowns apiece, uh, 16 yards of reception, 18 yards of reception, just under 800 yards, just over 600 yards. This is a killer one-two punch. And if I'm LSU, I mean, I am putting those guys out there and I am attacking Auburn's secondary. Because flat out, as long as I think it is if... Joe Burrow gets two and a half, three seconds. 
you're going to see wide open LSU receivers today. Uh, absolutely. And, and when I look back at other passing games from quarterbacks, you look at Justin Herbert had 242 yards. His best receiver had 98 yards in that game. You look at Kellen Maud. Kellen Maud had 335 yards passing. His one of his receivers had 111 yards, and the other one had 82. Mm-hmm. And even Kyle Trask in that game, you know, Swan had 146 yards receiving. And here's a, a bad thing for Auburn's DBs is they're bringing back Marshall Jr. in this game. And Marshall Jr., if you looked at him in that Texas game where we called Texas DBU, right? They had the shirts and everything. DBU. You know, Marshall Jr. had 123 yards in that game and a touchdown. Mm -hmm. He has six touchdowns of the season, and he's been out for three games. And you're getting him back as well. So you're you're getting these guys that you you have four guys that you have to defend, quite frankly, in this receiving core. And I haven't seen enough. And this is the toughest receiving core they've played all year. I don't think, you know, I think that, you know, Florida has talented skill players, but not as talented as this LSU team. So... That's going to be the difficult task for Auburn is, yeah, their front seven is really good, and their front seven is the reason why they're probably the best defense in the country, but every defense has their flaws. Right. We see it with Alabama and their secondary. We see it with you know Florida and even some of their secondary members of, you know, yeah, these defenses are really good at the front seven, but you know they're weak at the DBs, and that's going to be the issue of being able to defend a team. That's why it's going to be – Real important that Davison and Brown can put pressure on Joe Burrow and don't give him enough time in that pocket because if he does, like you said, they're going to eat those DBs alive with those wide receivers. I'm very intrigued to see how they handle Booby Whitlow today, who was expected to be out with the injury that he suffered a few weeks ago. A lot of people thought he probably wouldn't be back until late November, right around the Iron Bowl. He's medically cleared to play, but that doesn't mean that he will actually get any carries. And if he does, is he on a snap count? And just how big that is, because this is a guy, and if you've watched Auburn, you know Gus Malzahn, as much as he likes to go tempo and all the things that he does with his wrinkles and his gadgets and the window dressing, it's all predicated around the run game. And if you get that first first down, then he can go to tempo. Then all of a sudden defenses are on their heels. Without Booby Whitlow... I don't know, or let's just put it this way, without a 100% Booby Whitlow, I don't know how Auburn gets the ground game going. Yeah, but and I look at it like this, too. Do you risk playing him in this game? And obviously this is a big, important game, and you always have these questions with your star players of whether or not you want to play them coming back from an injury because they could either they could suffer another injury and they could be out for the whole season. So do you do that with Whitlow? Do you play him limited snaps, maybe get him going a little bit? And if he's feeling comfortable and if he's feeling good and you're, his running game is getting back to where you know it was, then maybe you play him a little bit more. But, you know, in that last game against Arkansas, they played Cam Martin. Cam Martin had 10 carries. He had 84 yards. You know, they, they played DJ Williams. He had 11 carries with 48 yards. And then Joyner and Shivers, they both had nine carries for 87 yards combined. So mm-hmm. it's been more of a running back by committee without Whitlow in this game because each of those guys, although they're not Whitlow and although they can't bring what Whitlow can bring to this offense in the running game, I think each individual holds something that Whitlow has that's special that they can kind of balance off of each guy with Martin and Williams and Joyner and Shivers. So I think if you're I think if you're Auburn, I think you still run Cam Martin and DJ Williams as your one two punch maybe and throw Whitlow in there 
in a couple snaps and just see how it feels. And if he's get, if he's getting more carries, if he's if you're giving him the ball and he's getting you know four yards a carry every carry, then all of a sudden then that kind of changes your coaching philosophy on how you use him. Other than that, I'll, I'll probably kind of hold off on him for a little bit. All right, we got uh, another installment of In or Out coming up as we kick off the second hour of the show. That's in less than 20 minutes. But up next, time for another installment of the Coach's Corner where you will hear from Gus Malzahn, Jeremy Pruitt, Jim Harbaugh, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, and Will Muschamp. Coach's Corner coming up next here on Saturday. Back in here, week number nine, Saturday tailgate. Nick and Marquise, ESPN 102.5. The game, another game of in or out coming up in just about 15 minutes. But let's get to the coach's corner because we got a lot of good audio to get to this week from all the coaches of all the big games around the country and in the SEC. We started off this morning with Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn not overlooking LSU before, obviously, Alabama. Yeah, we're just we're worried about playing LSU. I mean, I don't, I can't answer what everybody else is thinking, but you know, we got our hands full with these guys. We we respect them; they're a very good team. Uh, it's a big game for us, uh, especially you know the way that it ended last year. That was a really tough pill to swallow, and uh, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, and I've said this before: it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, good or bad, or in between. I mean, we're taking it one game at a time. We're staying focused with our head down. We're not going to get distracted by anybody else's opinion, you know, good or bad. I got to tell you, that reporter that asked that question should lose his credential. I mean, what, what, on what planet should Auburn be overlooking LSU when the reality is LSU could very well be the best team in college football this year? They're undefeated. It's an SEC West game on the road at Death Valley. You can't overlook LSU for Alabama. Yeah. I mean, you can't, nah. But I think the question that was asked was basically, do you think that people are overlooking that Auburn, because everybody's so prepared for Alabama and oh, LSU. Okay. So, like, Auburn's the forgotten team? Yeah. So, okay. so okay. basically, the, the question that was asked was, are you, are, is, does he feel overlooked? Because everybody's obviously looking for that matchup in a couple weeks, and you're kind of like, you know, you're brushed past. And the same thing for Arkansas. Arkansas is getting, you know, overlooked because, I mean, it's Arkansas, obviously, but it's also because, you know, everybody's preparing for that LSU. And um, Alabama game. So, and, and look, this is a team that they've only have one loss. Their one loss is in the SEC East. So that doesn't leave them. That doesn't rule them out for the SEC West Championship. And and look, that's hypothetically speaking. I don't. I'm not saying that they're going to win the SEC West, and I'm not saying that you know they're going to be able to beat Alabama and LSU this season. But we've seen this story before with Auburn, where. You know, when we have them down and out and they can't beat these teams and this is going to be a tough one because it's on the road, but they got that Alabama game at home and Mm -hmm. you may have a Tua that's, you know, by that time, he may not be 100%. He may be by then, he may get healthy, but he may have another injury. We've seen Tua's been pretty injury prone over the last couple, Mm -hmm. you know, over the last couple years he's been there. So, you know, Auburn's still in, in the chance to win the SEC West and that's their mindset going into this game of, look, we lost a game. But we're not out. We're not out of this situation by the slightest. Same thing for Florida and Missouri on the other side. Like, hey, we're not out. Like, all we got to do is beat Georgia. You know, we still got to play Georgia. And, you know, Missouri, even though they lost to Vandy, we can still beat Georgia. You know, Florida, even though they lost to LSU, we can still beat Georgia. So mm-hmm. both sides is pretty much wide open. But we've made this narrative of 
It's Georgia and the SEC East. It's Alabama and LSU and the SEC West, where you have teams like Missouri, Florida, and Auburn on the outside looking in like, hey, you know, we, we got one loss. We're here, too. With you know Missouri, they got two, but like, hey, we're still in it. So, and I think that's that's kind of what Gus was talking about. Of like, look, we we don't care, dude. All we got to do is just beat LSU, beat Alabama, and we're back in this thing. Well, there's no doubt about it. If you're Gus Malzahn, that's the message. Forget it. To, forget it to the media, to the boosters. You're, that that's the message you're selling to your fan base. That's the message you're selling to your players. That hey, you know, we still control a lot of our own destiny. Let's get to Jeremy Pruitt, head coach of your Tennessee Volunteers. Here's his response to fans boycotting possibly Jared Garantano making a start in Knoxville. Well, you know, here's what I'll say is just in my time here at the University of Tennessee as a as coach and my time as a, a coach at other schools participating against the University of Tennessee and as a player, you're not going to find a more passionate fan base than the, the fans at the University of Tennessee. I have a hard time believing that uh, when it comes down to game time, everybody's wanting to win. I think they trust the fact that we're going to play the players that give us the best chance to win and have success. So um, I, I think when South Carolina comes on the field, they'll probably be booing. Uh, and I think when South Carolina has the ball, they'll be loud, just like they have every game. Um, and, you know, they'll support our players and, and continue to do that. There's Jeremy Pruitt, and uh, we discussed this on Morning Drive for an extended period of this week. You know, I, I know people want to sit there and say you can't boo him. Don't boo Garantano. He's a kid. I mean, the reality is you're playing in the SEC. This is big boy country, right? It just means more. So don't don't get soft on me now and say, oh, you can't boom, you're going to hurt his feelings. You know, college football fans at this level, no different than NFL fans, they're paying a hefty penny for those tickets. And if you don't want to see Jared Garantano anymore, I, I can't sit there and condemn you for booing. Don't make it personal, but if you're going to boo, you know, boo who? Yeah, don't make it personal. Don't don't yell stuff at like his, about his family. Don't talk about his personal life. Whatever the case may be. Look, I'm I don't. When I heard this this week, I'm I'm not a big component of fans booing their starting quarterback, especially when you know your team is buying into this guy. But uh, look, if you want to boo, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. You will you want to boo that quarterback? Fine. But also, I'm of the component of keep that same energy. So if Garantano goes out there and he balls out, he gets 200, maybe 300 yards in this game, don't all of a sudden, yay, Garantano, he's our quarterback, yeah, we, we always believed in you. Don't, don't do none of that. Keep that same energy. If you want to boo him, that's fine. Boo him all you want. Boo him off the field. I don't care. Every time he, he touches the ball, like in the NBA when a player goes back home mm-hmm. and, to the team they used to play for, and every time they touch the ball, it's just an array of boos. If you do that every time Garantano touches the ball, I'm perfectly fine with that. Because, like you said, this is big boy football. This is the big leagues. You're, if you want to play in the NFL, get used to that because you're going to get booed a lot. You know, and it's you know the boo to me. It's not just see. It's a combination of two things. It's the decision last week to do that quarterback sneak the way he did it, fumble the ball. I mean, it went from what could have been a one score game to a three score game. But I think the reality is Tennessee fans are smart, and they said, you know what? We've seen this kid now for twenty six, twenty seven starts. We know what he is. Uh, you know, for the remainder, the remaining year in four games that he has left at his for his eligibility, it's not going to change. No, and I agree with you 100%, but also as a Tennessee fan, think about it like this. You're still 
have a chance to make a bowl game this year, despite everything that has happened this season and how bad this season has been, you still have an opportunity at a bowl game. Do you want your opportunity in the hands of a third-string quarterback that's not proven or a guy that, yeah, he struggles at times, but at times he's also you know been pretty good and he's shown strides of being pretty good? So do what do you want your chance of having? Do you want a third-string quarterback holding the destiny of your bowl game and your postseason schedule? Or do you want the ha- hands of a guy that struggles at times, makes boneheaded decisions, but at the end of the day, he still wins you football games sometimes. So it, it, it just all depends. But like I said, I don't care if you boo him. That's fine. I can understand that. But keep that same energy if he balls out. That's all I'm saying. Okay, let's get to Jim Harbaugh. Big spot today for the Michigan Wolverines. They already have two losses on the season. Really good effort last week at Penn State. They came up short 28-21. to In comes Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is now actually a one-point favorite in this game. Let's take a listen to Jim Harbaugh on the criticism in Ann Arbor. It's what goes on, right? I mean, people that really don't know what it's like to be a, a player or a professional in the you know, in the arena. I mean, they, they like to scream at the TV and yell stuff, and they don't know, and they just want to, you know, get their emotions out or their passions out. I mean, it's that's kind of what keeps the, you know, the football as popular it is, that people have those those kind of passions toward, toward the game. And um, so in, in that way, it's, you know, that's, that's the positive. As, as far as the, the sticks and stones will break my bones, um, that they do, but the words don't. So uh, just learned that a long time ago. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh, strange cat, weird <laughs> dude, bad fashion. But anyway, um, here's the thing. Like when you sit there and say that the criticism is unjustified because you don't know what you're talking about, which is kind of what he alluded to in the beginning there, that's where I, I, I lose a little bit of respect for a coach. Because, yeah, do we know the true X's and O's, the detail of what you did during the week leading up that led to that play call, and you saw this, so we're going to run this play to counter that? No. But what we do know is your offense is archaic. You were supposed to have Shea Patterson be the best quarterback of the Jim Harbaugh era. He has not been living up to what the expectation was. You hired Josh Gaddis, very inexperienced guy to be your offensive coordinator. And the, the basics are, and you can look at, pull up Jim Harbaugh's Wikipedia page. He's never defeated Ohio State. He's only beaten Michigan State once. He's 1-8 and eight against the top 10. He's never won as a road underdog in his time in, in Ann Arbor. And they've been a road underdog nine times or whatever the number is. Like, yeah, don't insult our intelligence. Yeah, I mean, you can't. And he basically said, I know you are, but what am I? And, and, you know, it's just, look, look, I understand. Like, we haven't played the game. We haven't been a coach. We haven't been a coach at at a high level. I understand that, Ben. But you, you can see, you know, BS from miles away. And you can see it with Jim Harbaugh. You can see struggles from miles away. You can't fool the you can't fool the critics, man. You can't fool people. It, just like with Garantano, if we we have a right to have an opinion on what you're doing as a coach, yeah, you have a right to say we don't know what we're talking about, but we also have a right to criticize you. But but on the flip for, side, though, Michigan has this, and I, and I give I give Harbaugh a little bit of slack here because there are, there are these unrealistic expectations on Michigan, and I think a lot of people view Michigan in the same light as Ohio State. And that is just simply not the case. Like, Ohio State has been a recession-proof program 
for 50 years. Michigan, over the course of their history of their program, look where they... Now, they have a lot of wins all time. They're up there with Alabama, Notre Dame, and a handful of others. But as far as national championships go, they're not Alabama, they're not Notre Dame, they're not Ohio State. I mean, they're 22 years removed from a year where I believe they split the national championship in 97. Yeah, and... <laughs> with Nebraska. I, yeah, but it's like, what... That, that's my, my, my question to to Michigan fans is what is your expectation for this team is your expectation is and and that's the same thing we say about Tennessee of Tennessee wants to get back to those glory days to where they were up there with Alabama and they were up there with you know the top teams in the country but at the end of the day you have to figure out that some of these teams have now surpassed you some of these teams are consistently staying in that in that category so now you have to say to yourself you know, what is our expectation? Is our expectation 10 wins? Because there's some teams in college football that can't get that. Or is our expectations of, we deserve to be up there with Alabama. We can't let a team like Clemson, who has a coach that's only been there for a couple years or 10 years, and he already has a couple national championships under his belt. You, you can't. You can't look at another person and be like, we should be there where that person is. Yeah, you can use that as motivation, but... You know, sometimes it, it takes a while. And, and if your expectations is a national championship, just be patient and maybe you'll get it one day. But maybe you're not going to get it with Jim Harbaugh because he's proven time in and time out that he'll win, even at Stanford, that he'll win you games, he'll have a quarterback like Andrew Luck and still can't get you to a national championship. All right, let's get to Nick Saban, head coach at Alabama, because we were due for a Nick Saban rant. And, of course, you, you, you just got to scratch your head. Some of these guys that get handed a credential that actually have the, the ability to go and ask some of these questions like uh, uh let me see exactly exactly on who plays and who does not play because you know mac jones is in this week for tua so now it's well if they blow out arkansas will we see tua's younger brother come in and will we see other guys get some reps and here's nick saban erupting like mount vesuvius will there be an effort to get talia into the game just to expedite his uh his progression you know we're we're, we're focused on winning the game all right so we're, we're going to try to win the game, and we're going to play the best players that we can play to win the game. And we're not assuming that it's going to be an easy game, uh, and we're not assuming that we'll have opportunity just to play anybody that wants to play, to expedite anything except winning the game. So we're going to play everybody who can expedite winning the game. That's what, that's what we're going to do. So I don't think anybody should expect us to do anything else. There you go. Don't expect Alabama to cover. Don't expect them to win by 50. Don't expect them to be playing three-star guys or walk-ons because they're blowing out Arkansas. All they need to do is win the game, and Nick Saban doesn't have any time for these stupid questions. <laughs> Nick Saban basically say, look, I'll do what I want, man. Good. I don't, I, if I, I, I want to play Mac Jones for a full game and we're up 40 points, that's my prerogative. I can do that. because <laughs> Saban's been there now since 2007. Like, you need to know this, whether it's day one on the job covering Alabama or if you're Cecil Hurts and you've been there since 1982. You need to know that you don't ask these dumb questions because he's going to just destroy you. And I'm yeah. glad he did. One thing Nick Saban doesn't like is hypotheticals. He, and he says that time in and time out. And that's one thing I learned as a media member covering Nick Saban. He hates hypotheticals. What if, you know, if if your team's up this, well, what, what are you going to do then? And he hates those well, questions. Well, because he, he refuses to allow complacency 
to set in or entitlement to set in with his players and his team. And when these questions get asked, it's almost like you're disrespecting Arkansas. And we know Alabama's a 30-point favorite. They should just blow Arkansas off the field, but he doesn't want his players to believe that that's where they're at. Because that's how you get And that is the great psychology of coaching that you don't let your – you set a standard so high for yourself – that you don't let the expectations of anybody else get to you. Nick Saban probably, it's funny because every week, I don't care if it's New Mexico State, Arkansas, if it's LSU, he talks like every team is a complete world beater. Oh, North Mex- New Mexico State, they got a great offense. Their offense is number one in this and this and this, and they do this pretty well. He makes every mm-hmm. opponent seems like they're playing tight. They're fighting Tyson every single fight, and that's the philosophy of coaching. You don't want to go in with the mindset of, and obviously, that's none, any coach is not going to go in a press conference like, yeah, this team's pretty bad. Um, they've struggled this year, but you know, and they Nick Saban makes every opponent feel like they're big opponents because. You don't want you obviously when you have an, a defense that you want to improve, you have an offense with a backup quarterback, you have wide receivers who already think they're already know and think that they're the best in the country. You don't want them going in with that mindset because that's how you end up like Georgia mm-hmm. against South Carolina, where you think, yeah, we're we're at home. You know, we, we're going to get the team that struggles this season. We're just going to beat them, and then you lose to them. So it's just like, no, you you got to take every opponent. Serious, and I know that's cliche to say, but it's true. We see Arkansas; they're a bad team. They haven't won in the SEC, but Nick Saban doesn't want his players to know that or think that. So, don't ask hypotheticals to Nick Saban. That is the moral of the story. Coming up next, we will kick off hour two with another round of in or out. It's Saturday tailgate here on ESPN One Hundred Two Five. The game.